Well, thank you very much. Let's open up our Bibles together to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to have some fun in God's Word today. I've entitled our message this morning, Are You Sure You Want Him? Are you sure you want Him? Well, it is a great honor for me to be here. Um, I want you to know that you are an affirmation of God's call upon my life. Um, you were praying for me, and I was praying for you before we even met each other. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for how he has called you over the last year or so to roll up your sleeves in the city of Pittsburgh, as Pastor Ray shared. Uh, we have a great need up there. And uh, the Lord, over the last year, has called me and my family to accept God's call to the city of Pittsburgh. And there's nothing quite like gospel partnership, is there? And so I'm so thankful to you on behalf of my family and this new church family that we're going to be planting in the city of Pittsburgh. We're so excited to be brothers and sisters in Christ together. And uh, I've been up to Pittsburgh, believe it or not, uh, this is going to shock you as I'm now moving my family up there next Monday. Uh, I've only been there nine times. And uh, as I've been in that city, um, getting to learn that city, I've found something amazing in that city. Um, there are a lot of people who are proclaiming Jesus in that city, faithful warriors for the kingdom. And although the need is great in that city, I want you to know that my assignment is not to come and make Jesus Lord of that city. He's the Lord of the city. And, uh, and so I'm walking by faith in victory, knowing that Jesus is Lord and that he has great plans for his kingdom. I'm so thankful for Pastor Ray and for his family and for this team I believe this is one of the greatest churches in the world, and it's just such a great honor to roll up my sleeves today and to open up God's Word. So let's dive into the text today. We're going to be looking in John chapter 6, verse 34 through really verse 69, but we're going to jump all over the place. Um, as we're getting to know each other, I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. Um, my name is Robert Edwin John Wilton. Thank you, Mama, for those four names. I'm proud of those four names, though. My, my two middle names, Edwin, Edwin Bolton is my mom's dad, my grandfather, mighty preacher of God's word. John Wilton, so Edwin John. John is um, uh, with Jesus today, but he was a mighty preacher of God's word, my dad's dad. And so I carry that with great honor. Uh, my wife and I have been married 14 years, and uh, we have four kids. Her name is Annabeth. Uh, she's from South Carolina. Our four kids, Bolt is my oldest. He just turned 10. And then I've got twin boys, Mac and Burke. Uh, they're eight. Um, they are crazy. Um, we gave them all one-syllable, uh, easy yelling names. Um, so I, I just was ready for them. You know, Bolt, Mac, Burke, here, right? Yell at them like dogs. And then the Lord blessed us with a princess for my fourth uh, she is absolutely gorgeous, looks just like her daddy. It's unbelievable. And um, her name is Carolina McCall. And so that's my family. And we're taking this leap of faith together to Pittsburgh. Uh, my, my background, I'm a firstborn American. My whole family is from South Africa. Um, I was the firstborn in America. My parents moved as missionaries to America. I know that sounds weird because America's the hope of the world, but we need missionaries to come here too. And uh, God called my parents as missionaries to America in 1979. And then I was born in 1981 in the city of New Orleans. 
grew up in that city at the age of seven, gave my, gave my life to Jesus Christ at a revival uh, service. My dad was preaching a revival at the East Edgewater Baptist Church. And um, it wasn't my dad's sermon that saved me. Revival preachers back in the day only had five sermons. I had heard this my whole life. The Spirit of God changed my life. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my dad was preaching for Billy Graham and crusades all over the world. He's had the privilege of being Dr. Billy Graham's pastor and was part of his funeral this past year. And then at the age of 14, I moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina, where my dad became pastor at First Baptist Church of Spartanburg. So I summarized myself in this way, and I'm, I'm evolving now that I'm moving to Pittsburgh. I'm a Cajun African-American redneck. And uh, I'm, I'm a soon-to-be yinzer. They have yinzes up there in Pittsburgh. And so Cajun African-American redneck yinzer, that's who I am. And, uh, and so I apologize for whatever comes out and confuses people, but preaching is all about the grace of God, and that's what I'm here to trust in. And so John chapter 6, verse 34 and 35 says something amazing. Because in this text, um, we find that Jesus comes on the scene and he starts preaching and displaying a kingdom that's greater than this world. You know, everywhere you go in this world, people are searching for something that's greater than this world. Grace and Baptist Church, your mission is to not offer this world this world. We offer Jesus, who's greater than this world. And so what Jesus does here in John 6 is he presents one of the I am statements. He presents the truth that he is the bread of life. For the last 10 years, I planted a church in my living room 10 years ago in the city of New Orleans. We did a I am statement series. We called it Big Easy Jesus. Um, maybe I'll do a Steel City Jesus next. And, and so... Um, the I am statement that he presents is I am the bread of life. And so he's kind of like presenting this to his disciples. Look in verse 34. His disciples say to him, sir, give us this bread always. We want this everlasting eternal bread that you speak of. And so Jesus responds to them by saying in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so as you begin to unpack um, this truth of Jesus being the bread of life, we've got to answer the question, how is Jesus the bread of life? Now you want to take down notes in church. So get out a pen and paper. You want to take down notes because when you take notes in church, you look holier than your neighbor and that's the point of church. Just giving you some tips today. And so how is Jesus the bread of life? Consider number one, this truth. Jesus is the source. In the beginning was God. God created the heavens and the earth. And in John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. Consider the source, this bread is divine from the Father. It's true, it gives eternal life. Number two, consider the storehouse. With all the different needs that are in this world, all the different needs that are in Pittsburgh, as we go to Jesus with our needs, he never goes into the pantry in heaven and says, oh no, I gotta go to Costco. There is unlimited everlasting resource in his storehouse. And so he is the bread of life because 
This bread is salvific. This bread is anointed. This bread is available to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which brings us to the third thing, consider the Savior. John 1.14, Jesus is the bread of life because he is the Savior. It says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Anyone thankful for Emmanuel? God with us. He is our Lord and Savior. For Jesus came, he lived, he died, he defeated sin, death, and hell, and he offers to all who would confess and believe in him eternal life. In just a few moments, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Consider Jesus, for he is the bread of life. All of these things are kind of summarized in starting verse 53. Let's turn there. In verse 53 to verse 59, we see Jesus just um, kind of putting an exclamation mark on his teaching that he is the bread of life. Verse 53, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from where? Heaven, the storehouse. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. This is nothing from this world. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Are you sure you want him? You see, at this point, Jesus um, not only um, teaches and gives information, Jesus offers transformation. Um, now that's good preaching there. Listen, I'm a Baptist, but I'm more of a recovering Southern Baptist. I'm more Bapticostal than I am Baptist. I'm a huge Holy Spirit fan, have to have the Holy Spirit. And when you say amen to me, I promise I preach shorter. So y'all could just, that's good preaching there. Jesus isn't just preaching about some information here. He's offering transformation. And he's telling people how to experience life and life Abundant. I pray that you are wanting life to the fullest today. And I pray that you're wanting Jesus through his words that are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, to transform your life. Listen, this is an are you sure moment gut check for the followers of Jesus. Life is filled with are you sure moments, aren't there? Like all of us right now are thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch, right? Are you sure? Are you sure um, I'm supposed to go and change careers and go here? Life is filled with are you sure moments, relationships, moving, which team we're going to pull for. But they can be serious things like what my family's gone through over the last year and a half. An are you sure moment came to us as the call of God came to us. We planted a church in the city of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. I was doing work in the city, doing some rebuilding post-Katrina in New Orleans. And um, my wife, she was working a, a job. She's a massage therapist, and it's awesome being married to a massage therapist. 
And uh, we started to get to know her coworkers in the city as I was doing ministry and preaching. And, and uh, by God's grace over Mexican food one night, I had the privilege of leading one of my wife's coworkers to Jesus. And it was through that that God called us to move away from the seminary campus and move into the heart of the city and start a Bible study that turned into Vintage Church in New Orleans. And by God's grace over the last 10 years, man, we have had one amazing story of God's grace. As a people in the city of New Orleans have risen up to exalt the name of Jesus and to go into that city, one of, I believe, Satan's favorite playgrounds, and lift high the name of Jesus. Now, it's been a crazy ride. In eight years, we moved 13 times. Our slogan was, we're a cool church if you can find us. And uh, the last two years, God blessed us. We merged with an older church that um, they had a building, no people. We had people, no building. And so we said, let's marry each other. And the rest was history. And uh, man, I just love those people of Highland Baptist Church. And so um, we went through a renovation project and, and we completed the renovation project. At the same time, I actually completed my doctorate of ministry here at Southern Seminary. And so I was a little tired and um, we finished this building and we had our first Sunday and I stood up on the stage. Remember, we moved 13 times in eight years. This felt good. And I stood up to preach that first message to our church people. And, and I'll just let you know, most pastors at that moment would have been like, oh yeah, it's time to get going. And I said, oh no, because the Lord spoke to me very clearly and he said, you're done. I was like, God, come on, are you serious? I've got major health problems from all these moves. Like, would you please allow me to just be here for a couple years? And, and so it took me about a month and a half, guys, to even get guts enough to tell my wife what the Lord had put upon my heart. And we went on vacation together and we started to pray and I brought it back to my team. And at first we thought maybe I would stay in the region and, and just launch another campus like you guys have done here. And the Lord just kind of shut some doors. Then an opportunity came in Orlando, Florida for me to go and basically do a replant of a downtown church there in Orlando, Florida. And as we started to pray and talk, honestly, they wanted more maintenance than mission. And God had called me to be a part of a mission agency, not a country club. And so I couldn't accept that call either, but that call God used to put me on the radar of the North American Mission Board with Kevin Ezell. And the president of NAM called me and he said, Rob, if you're willing to go to Orlando, would you consider planting a church in a city called Pittsburgh? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and he said, before you knock it, I want you to take a trip. And so we took a trip and doesn't God do this? He broke my heart for the city. And the call of God began to happen in our lives and we took our kids up there. I'm just telling you, we know nothing about Pittsburgh. Uh, we learned real quick, Old Navy doesn't work up there in the winter. I mean, I, I've grown up in New Orleans, guys. The only kind of mountains we have are levees, and they don't even work. <laughs> I've never seen snow in my life. So my poor kids, I took them ice skating, and we lost some fingers. I mean, Old Navy gear doesn't work. We need some stronger gear in that city during the winter. And, and so I'm scared to death and all that, but God began to stir in our hearts. And so I'm just telling you, I started to pray, Lord Jesus, as you're calling me to this new city, would you honor me by answering two prayers? Would you allow this church that I love so much that I don't want to leave, but I know you've called me to leave, would you allow it to be in the healthiest place it's ever been as I leave? 
And number two, would you give me the privilege of raising up the next leaders? Do you know that God answered those prayers? Do you know that my last Sunday, the place was packed. It hurt my feelings because it was like they were throwing a party I was leaving. <laughs> the place was so packed, that night we had an ordination service where we not only enlisted the new lead pastor of the church who had been on my staff for the last nine years, Two years before that, he had actually come into my office and said that he never wanted to be a lead pastor. Isn't that who God uses? And, and so he's now the lead pastor there. We not only did that, we enlisted three new pastors in our church. And so I preached the ordination service. And guys, when I got done preaching, I mean, this, once again, the place was packed. It was hurting my feelings like crazy. They were having this big party. This big old guy comes down front. His name's Kirk. He's six foot seven, 300 plus pounds. When he comes down, you pay attention. And he looked at me and he, he just walked straight up. He goes, Pastor Rob, I just want you to know I've really been struggling. I said, me too, Kirk, please don't hit me. <laughs> he goes, I came this morning reluctantly and you preached about gospel multiplication. I'm seeing our whole church just fired up about sending you out to plan another church. And, and then I come here tonight and even more reluctantly and I see how excited our church is here about the future and it's clear we're building God's kingdom here, no one else's kingdom. But I just want you to know as I began to sit here tonight, God convicted me of how angry I've been. I've wanted to be selfish and keep you here, but then it dawned on me. Pastor Rob, if you hadn't answered God's call to come to the city of New Orleans 10 plus years ago, today I wouldn't know Jesus and I'd be divorced. He said to me, he said, Pastor Rob, I know you're struggling and I know you love us and I know you want to be here. This is home. You've been the New Orleans Saints chaplain for the last year, few years. You've got a building finally. You've got a good gig here and I know you're struggling, but I came down front here to tell you, even if you're struggling, even if you're having doubts, you got to go. I'm not letting you stay here because there's someone in Pittsburgh who used to be like me who needs Jesus. And if God sent you, you got to go. You gotta go. And guys, there's are you sure moments around every corner. And may I submit to you, the call of God upon your life is not necessarily always gonna be convenient. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna come in the appropriate time. It's gonna come with challenge. It's gonna demand your all. You're gonna be called to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. But if you would respond by faith, if you would answer, are you sure you want him by faith? God is gonna use you in such a way that he alone gets all the glory and that's what life is all about. I wonder what happens in this story with the disciples. As Jesus presents to them, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Let's look, go back into the text here. In John chapter six, verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They're struggling. Now, let me set up the context and I'm gonna prove it to you in this text. The crowd of disciples that is being talked about here, there's two different groups. Number one, there's a large group. And let's just visualize right now that over here near the drums, this is a large group of people. They've started to hear about the Jesus hype. 
They're not all in yet. They're just a part of the crowd. They've seen that, you know, Jesus walked on water. He fed 5,000 people with a catfish po' boy. Um, you know, he's healed some people. Um, they're, they're just kind of in the crowd. And so they're not fully committed. Well, who's the other disciples? We know of the 12 disciples. And so let's visualize that over here by the keyboard are the 12 disciples. In this text, it says, when the disciples heard it, this is a hard saying, Everyone's struggling. These are simple people. Anybody else a simple person here? I don't know what to do with really smart people. Real simple people. Those are my people, okay? Keep it simple, stupid kind of people. They're, they're tripping at this moment. They're sitting here going, eat of my flesh to drink of my blood. I mean, Jesus, we love you and everything, but now we're going to crazy town. We're about to all buy matching pajamas, Kool-Aid's coming out. This is gonna go bad. Like they're, they're struggling. They've already left home. They've already had to abandon their careers. They're walking around homeless people like a homeless person would, like Jesus is right now. They're being stretched. And now Jesus says, you must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood to have eternal life. Well, let's see what the response of Jesus is. I mean, because the church is struggling. Isn't it the role of the pastor to make sure that everyone's happy at the church? That's usually the description we give our pastors. If there's any grumbling, let's make sure that we fix that problem quick or they're gonna leave us for another church. See, the disciples were grumbling. They were complaining about this. And so Jesus, let's see if he does what normally pastors do. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, what does that speak to? Jesus knows everything. He knows who's in this room who just a few moments ago lifted up their hands in praise to impress a girlfriend or mama or if they genuinely lifted up their hands in praise because they love Jesus. He knows. You can fool Pastor Ray, you can fool mama, you can't fool Jesus. And so Jesus knew that his disciples were grumbling about this and he says to them something that I'll just be honest, I don't know if I would say, but I love Jesus. He says, do you take offense at this? My dad was a tank commander in the South African army. He was a rugby and cricket coach. Then he became a pastor. Y'all know I got whooped as a kid. And, and whenever I would have little pity parties, my dad would look at me and he'd say, what seems to be your problem? I feel like Jesus looking at his you know, disciples saying, what seems to be your problem? Where did you ever think this was gonna be easy? Where did I ever paint that picture for you? See, we like putting pictures of Jesus with long blonde hair. He just had a Manny and Petty, and he's, you know, singing, our God is an awesome God through some field or something. This is UFC fighter Jesus. He's coming down to lay the smack down, and if we're all honest, some of the best moments that we've had with Jesus have been the moments where he laid the smack down on us. Because we need hard talk. He says, do you take offense at this? But then he elaborates. Aren't y'all thankful that sometimes Jesus comes in with a punch in the gut, but then he also hugs us? He takes time with us. I need the punch in the gut. I also need the hug. I'm willing to admit it. I'm a sissy. And so here Jesus comes in with the hard shot, but then he explains some more. In verse 62, he says, then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? And he begins to explain. He goes, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Get out of this world zone. I'm not asking you to eat of my flesh, drink of my blood according to the world. The words that I'm giving to you are greater than anything in this world. The words that I'm giving to you, they are of spirit and they are of life. 
And so here in this text, he talks about his sovereignty. And he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would even betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father, for we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And in verse 66, something real sobering happens. I believe it's something that needs to happen in the American church before we truly experience revival. In verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Before we're gonna experience a true front door revival, I believe we've gotta, in America, experience a back door revival. I've just done ministry in the city of New Orleans for the last 13 years. And most people in that city don't wanna have anything to do with Jesus, not because of Jesus, but because someone in their life preached Jesus and didn't walk Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't interested in this kind of middle ground when it comes to following him. You're either for him or you're against him. Jesus isn't your genie during the week or some sort of hangout on the weekend. He wants your all. And it says, after this, many of disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so the disciples that are leaving right now is the large crowd. The group that's left are the 12. Let's just say that his congregation here is 100 people. 88% of his congregation just walked out. <laughs> Jesus is not getting invited to speak at any church conferences. He's not doing a good job. He definitely wouldn't be speaking at this seminary in town. I mean, he just lost 88% of his congregation. At this point, at this moment, I'm freaking out if this is my church. I mean, seriously, if 88% leave, I'm turning to the 12 and I'm saying, what can I do to keep you here next week? I know we just served plain coffee. We're gonna get an espresso machine in here and serve you lattes. I know, I know that those pews are a little bit tough, but next week we're gonna have some massage things in there for you and some things to rub your feet because my goal is to make you as happy as possible. Now I'm just, this, let me get some stuff out. I need counseling, I know, but like I'm just, I'm working out some of my stuff because here's the honest truth. As a pastor, sometimes I feel more confirmation and acceptance by other people around me. That's my justification when my justification should alone be Christ's call upon my life. Am I willing to go to Pittsburgh and slave it out for 10 plus years and only have five people around me? The question I gotta answer is, are you sure you want him? Success is defined by faithfulness to the Lord. So Jesus doesn't just cater to them. He turns to the 12, verse 67, look at it. And he says to them, do you wanna go away as well? <laughs> the King James Version says, will ye also go away? It's good to say ye every now and then, it makes you sound smarter. And so he turns to the 12. He says, do you want to go away as well? Do you know who's in the 12? The chairman of deacons? The person that bought the building? That generational family that's always been around? The pastor? 
Jesus is saying to all of us here, not one of us get a pass. For I called you to follow me and to die daily. Every day you surrender. And so, I don't know about y'all, any of y'all Simon Peter fans in the house? Man, I love Simon Peter. What a loser. I mean, that guy, I just, can I keep it real? I can't relate to perfect people. I just can't. I don't know what to do with perfect Christians. I like the people that mess up. And when you read about the life of Simon Peter, dude puts his foot in his mouth, he fails Jesus, all that. I'm like, I have hope. I have hope. Simon Peter's my boy. I'm just telling you, John wrote Revelation. I'm not going to hang with him in heaven. I'm hanging with Simon Peter. We're both going to be hanging out together. Jesus forgave me for this. He forgave me for this. He forgave me for this. And I'm just telling you, isn't it great to know that Jesus can use us despite us? Well, Simon Peter messes it up sometimes, but in this moment, you know what? Simon Peter gets it right. For Jesus turned to the 12, he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a response. <laughs> Some preachers preach this, and with all due respect, they preach it wrong. For they come to this point, and man, they break out their preacher voice. They start acting as if Simon Peter in this moment is fully confident. He knows everything. And so they say, Lord, to whom shall we go? This is the moment when Simon Peter revved up his voice ah, and started to preach the gospel. Ah, and he started to say, Lord, to... I don't see it that way. This is Simon Peter. <laughs> he, he's confused. He had to surrender it all and leave home. Like, guys, he's not listening to this message coming from his house and sitting in a building. He's stretched. He's probably hungry. He, he doesn't know what's coming next. Can y'all picture it? He's over here. The crowd's just left. Peer pressure is not just for middle schoolers. Senior adults in the room, I love you with all my heart. Some of you are falling to peer pressure and using your retirement years to indulge in your kingdom instead of God's kingdom. It's not just a middle school issue. Next week, I'll be in Charlotte at a church that I preached at two months ago. And I'm going to celebrate with a couple, Ted and Wanda. A retired couple, when I preached there two months ago, God called them to move to Pittsburgh. They've already rented an apartment and they're gonna be a part of our launch team in the city of Pittsburgh. Isn't that awesome? You are young at heart. Peer pressure, the crowd's gone. Peter's sitting here. He's like, snap, Jesus just asked us if we wanna go away too. Didn't, didn't we throw down our nets and follow him already? Does he know I'm the pastor? And so Peter's sitting here and he's like, Jesus, thank you for everything you've been doing. Walking on water, awesome. Feeding 5,000 people with a catfish po' boy, got a couple in my back pocket, love it. Eat of your flesh, drink of your blood. Don't know what you're doing there. John, you're the smart one. Have you figured that out? You haven't? I don't have a chance. 
I see Peter in this moment confused, hurting, missing home, struggling. Don't raise your hand. Anybody here confused, hurting? You came here today and this past week you've had suicidal thoughts. You don't feel like such a great Christian today. You've been imperfect at week at work this week. May I submit to you, this is the essence of the gospel. For the gospel is not you can and you will. The gospel is you can't, but Jesus did. And because Jesus did, now you can. That's the gospel. We're invited to come to Jesus just as we are. Not one of us fixed ourselves or saved ourselves. Only Jesus saves. And so Simon Peter, even though he wasn't that sharp, responds back to Jesus with the very thing that Jesus told him to respond with. Look at it. He tells Jesus, we're coming and believing in you. Look at the verse we read at the beginning as we close, as the band makes their way up here. John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, everybody say comes. And whoever believes in me, everybody say believes, shall not hunger and never thirst. So now fast forward, what is Simon Peter's response? Dude has been listening. It's amazing. He responds to Jesus with the very thing that Jesus told him to respond with, which is faith. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You struggling today? Come and believe. Pastor Rob, I've been trying my hardest. I've been trying my hardest to earn Jesus. You can't. I've been trying to give away my resources. I've, I've, I've been faithful to be here at sun, on Sunday every single week for the last three months. And, and you can't save yourself. Surrender to him. Come and believe in him. Do you know what I think about when I think about this text? I think about the crowd that turned back. When it came to this question, are you sure you want him? They said no. And man, did they miss out. They missed out on not only all the miracles and everything. Yeah, it was a tough ride. People hated them. But they were witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These are the ones who said yes. These are the ones who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this same invitation is to every one of you today. Don't miss out. Come and believe. If you're here today and you don't know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you receive his love? Place your faith in him. For those of you who know Jesus, maybe a way to come and believe is to put your roots down right here. What a great church. Love Pastor Ray so much, so fired up every time I get to talk with him. Dude's a way better preacher than me, but at least I'm better looking than him. 
And, and guys, this is a great church. You need to join this church and go next level and volunteer. So many amazing servants of God. Don't miss out. For when we believe in Jesus, we experience life to the fullest. Everybody stand. I wanna pray for us. Our prayer team's gonna be down front here. We've got communion that you can partake in celebrating this body and blood of Jesus. Let's respond faithfully to him. If you've given your life to Christ today, please fill out a card or talk with someone today. Let's go after him just as we are.